Whitney. I'm Danielle. And we are the founders of Sakara Life, on a mission to nourish your body and transform your life. Sakara is a Sanskrit word that describes the action of turning your thoughts into things and manifesting your reality. We believe that who we surround ourselves with, what we watch, what we listen to, what we eat, the information that we take in, impacts the way we think and therefore who we are. The conversations that follow are with bold thinkers who have had an impact on how we view the world, ourselves, and what it means to live the Saqqara life. The intention of these conversations is to push each of us to greater heights so that we can turn our thoughts into things and all shine our light a little brighter. We are so excited to be on this journey with you. Welcome to the Saqqara life. Our relationship with our body is one of, if not the most important relationship in our lives. And if you're a Sakaralite, you already know that deepening our body intelligence is key to our overall well-being, which is why we're excited to speak with today's guest, Dr. Rachel Allen. An author and TEDx speaker, Dr. Allen is a holistic somatic psychologist whose work hinges on the study of body wisdom. She focuses on taking pressure off the mind and getting us more deeply connected to our bodies, working with her patients to hone their, quote, bodyfulness, her term for expanding our mindfulness and incorporating our body in an effort to bring more vitality and essential pleasure into their lives. By integrating movement into her practice, she helps patients unlearn and release body stigma and shame, allowing them to access more pleasure and joy in both physical relationships with themselves and with those that they choose to be physically intimate with. I think you are going to enjoy this episode. Please welcome Dr. Rachel Allen. Rachel, welcome to the Sakara Life podcast. It's so great to have you with us today. Thank you for having me, Whitney. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Well, as you mentioned, you've listened to our podcast before, so you know what the question that is coming to you is. What is your mission here on Earth? What do you believe you're here to do or share or give? Oh, yeah, it's really it boils down to connection, connection to ourselves, to our bodies, to our emotions and feelings, the full range of them, and connection to our inner knowing and how that really expands our connection to other people and our relationships. So it's really about fighting the suppression or repression and kind of confusion within so that we can really deeply connect to that inner knowing in our hearts. And so you're a holistic psychologist. How does that relate to the work that you do? How do you bring that into your work, that connection? Oh, yes. Yeah. I really believe that we need to integrate. And so it's the easiest way to explain it is really it's a mind-body connection, but it's really mind-body and spirit, mind-body and soul, but also really integrating both Western medicine with Eastern practices and, and these Eastern wisdom traditions and contemplative practices, because we have so much to learn when we really do bring it all together and synthesize it. Absolutely. So can you define what is a holistic psychologist mean to you? What is your work? What do you do in your day to day? Well, I really love to see the whole person, all the layers of this human being. And so that can include even just subtle body energy and chakras. And given I'm also trained as a yoga teacher, sometimes I'll do chakra readings and chakra balancing. Also really finding out about their relationship to their body and maybe the trauma that's held in their body. 
certainly learning about their life history and family of origin, including intergenerational traumas that they might not be aware of. So looking at the whole person, including like what they came into the world with and really trying to understand it from an approach that goes beyond talking. Talking is obviously beautiful and wonderful form of expression and clarity, but also to really peel back the layers to understand right, what's there below the surface and that deeper intuitive self for each person. Right. I think in your TEDx talk, you said, your body is always talking to you. It's your mother tongue and listening to it is your most direct pathway to health and pleasure. I absolutely love that quote. Can you speak on that a bit? What does that mean to you? Oh, it's really about, some of it is about the unlearning of being so exclusively in our heads and trying to elevate our body is also wise, given that it's always rooting for our health. So many interworking systems there within us. And interestingly, as children, we come into the world being much more connected to these inner working systems and we have much less of a filter and we pay attention and we move and engage in, in a way that is really much more primal and animalistic and it's beautiful. And so I really want to help us as adults to come back into that. And you know, what is our body saying? What are some of these different inner working systems saying so that we can really come into balance? Because that's our body's always telling us like what we really need in the moment. It's just that we often override it or it's inconvenient what it's telling us. Right. At Sakara, we talk about body intelligence. That's that's what we call it. And that, you know, the goal of eating this way is really to develop that conversation with your body to take out the different endocrine disruptors and different foods that might be sending the wrong signals to your body, you know, man-made processed foods and get back to that place of nature where you can listen to your body. You can listen to what it's telling you, what, you know, eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full, listen to your cravings because they're telling you what foods you really need. So in that way, hearing that from you really resonated with me and with what we talk about at Saqqara. Yeah. And I love how much you work with food because food is really, as a relationship therapist, I think so relationally. And food is one of our really very earliest and most primal and really important relationships. So it's a lot of healing that can be done and nourishment that it's crucial. I know. What kind of relationships do you see with people and their food or people and their bodies? I see a lot of people cut off from their bodies, or if they're connected to their bodies, it's in a really critical way. They're reprimanding their body or they're forcing it. Or I, I talk also in my work about how I grew up as an athlete and it was really wonderful on the one hand and the ways I was able to engage in my body, but the more competitive I got, the more I was really using it and abusing it and had to really learn how to re-inhabit re my body. And so I see a lot of people that are yeah, using and abusing their body or really ignoring it. And if there's been significant trauma, it's understandable why they might be disconnected from their body. And so that's where a lot of my work and helping people with trauma is to start to find that a place that can feel like home again, a place they can trust, a place that is really in service to them and how they can serve and show up in the world. I mean, I think about even people in their jobs that you don't have to even be an athlete to be using and abusing your body, 
right? right? You It could look like in the form of going to work long hours, but also just the level of stress that we put our bodies under, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. I think it too, even though this is my life's work, I even have to practice each day. I do some walking sessions with clients. And so it's a little bit different. And I do some movement and aerial silks. But for the sessions where I am primarily sitting and in front of a computer screen, I notice that the more I'm problem solving, the less I'm breathing. And isn't that interesting? And breathing is this life force energy, and yet it shuts down when I get really deep into the problem solving. So for me, taking belly breaths, really grounding in my body, I do it throughout the session, throughout the day. And it's this regular practice just to really help me come back to the present. Yeah. So you talk a lot about bodyfulness. And can you tell us what that is? What is bodyfulness? Yeah. Isn't it a wonderful word? It is. <laughs> bodyfulness. It's fun to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love to say it. I love the concept. I love, you know, spreading the idea. And it really expands on mindfulness. And it also really is purposefully a play on words because I focus on the fact that we can be so mind focused in American culture. Just, and that's a lot of pressure to put on our minds, which certainly are can be quite brilliant, but can also take us down some pretty dark pathways of beliefs that aren't really our truth. And so why I really like to champion bodyfulness is not to denigrate the mind. It's just to to really weave in also the beauty and the wisdom and the joy that exists in our body as a somatic psychologist. So a psychologist who really integrates the body. I had noticed that there is really a lot of a focus on helping people through their trauma in order to feel pleasure and joy again. But then it would really sort of stop there as far as, well, how do we reclaim that pleasure and joy, which can be very vulnerable. So bodyfulness really builds on mindfulness and somatic psychology. So it starts with, can we pay attention? Are we that embodied mindfulness? What is our body telling us? And then what do we do with that information? That's where it goes beyond mindfulness and brings in somatic methods, whether it be discharging, releasing movement or containment or, you know, different sorts of ways that movement is medicine all to get us to this place of reclaiming, feeling the pleasures and joys within, from within our body and reclaiming that. So that, yeah, that's bodyfulness. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I think about, yeah, bringing your mind into your body, being mindful of your body, but also letting your body take away some of that, the pressure on your mind where your body has a lot of answers, right? And if we had to think about how to assimilate different nutrients from our food or calculate how many calories to absorb out of a meal, we would be sitting there doing math all day long. And yeah, I would, no, thank you. <laughs> no, but our bodies are just so smart. Our bodies know how to do all these different things, right? And sometimes I think we don't let our bodies do the work and give them the right to be able to do that work and take that pressure off of our mind. So I just had the kind of like a mind blow moment listening to you. Talk I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, that's why on my initial paperwork for my clients, I include the question, do you listen to your intuition and do you trust your intuition? Because I like to get a sense just of that baseline level because intuition is so deeply connected into our instinctual selves and that inner knowing in our body as well. So it gives me a sense of kind of where people are at as they're coming in to work with me of how connected to their body and their body's wisdom they are. And so is part of your practice 
cultivating more of that intuition? Absolutely. Yeah. Cultivating it, trusting it, learning and listening. What does that look like? How do you, how do you do that? Well, a lot of people come to me because they do like the fact that I focus on this mind-body approach and really blend East and West. And then I do a lot with relationships, whether it be relationships themselves or loved ones or, you know, family, colleagues. And people do want, they tend to want to really connect more to their body, but might not know how. And so really it is about just reminding them that it, it is innate and intrinsic but it might be a little unfamiliar. It's like they're learning a new language, similar to if you pop on Duolingo or one of those and you're trying to learn Spanish, you do need to practice a lot. And it can sometimes feel frustrating or you're like, ah, screw it. (laughs) But some of that just getting reacquainted with whether it be the sensations in your body. So I often start with a guided meditation and it really grounds and centers them. And I bring in breath, I bring in the senses, help reorient them to the here and now, bring in some moving meditation. So moving like one breath with one movement, it can be really gentle as simple as inhaling your arms up, exhaling your arms down. And it's amazing how even just that intro five minute meditation, nine times out of 10, people say, oh, wow, I didn't realize how much I needed that. And I can't believe that in as little as five minutes, I just already feel so much more just here and and regulated and clear. So that's one example where just having a guide, because sometimes people just, they don't know how to do those steps. They didn't learn it in school or from their family. I mean, I was talking to somebody actually this morning and he was saying, yeah, I just feel like I need to get back into doing something more physical. He used to skateboard when he was like in high school and now, you know, he's much older and he still likes to go to the skate park, but it's every few months type of thing. So he's not really engaging his physical body on a regular basis. And I said, you know, that's where having a teacher, an instructor, a coach, whatever it might be, really comes in handy because you're more likely to show up when you have somebody there on the other side, for one. And then two, it takes the the pressure off of you having to decide what you're going to do in that moment. I mean, I go to the gym and I see so many people just sitting on the mat on their phones. And, mm. and part of it is probably they're thinking all day, they're doing whatever it is all day. And then to come there and think about what exercise am I going to do next? It's hard to stay focused and attentive. And so I think about coming in to your work, having somebody there to help with that mindfulness, bodyfulness, and walk you through an exercise like that can be so helpful. Yeah, I really love to be facilitator. That's that's what I see myself as. We can all have these different labels. I could say psychologist or yoga teacher or writer, but I really like to think of myself as a facilitator. I'm a guide, guiding people back into that inner knowing, into their essence and their life force energy that exists within them. But we know it can get buried. It gets buried with behind just the nature of modern life in the U.S. And the, that's mainly what I guess can be critical of is some of modern life in the U.S. I was going to ask, How do you see people change, you know, going through this, what kind of results, what kind of outcomes and shifts and transformations do you see? Oh, you know, it's, it's some of the time I I don't know, because sometimes they wrap up working with me. And so I don't get to see it all. But I do hear from others about, it can be everything from they are much more tuned into their mental, emotional and physical boundaries. So for them, it's around kind of boundary work and really 
knowing their yes and no, because they recruited their body is also to understand their boundaries. It can be about around communication and that builds from boundaries and understanding our yes and no. I see a lot too around self-worth rather than putting others first or sort of being caught up in perfectionism or the rat race. They're really able to honor themselves and cultivate an ongoing practice of more unconditional self-love. I mean, that's really at the core of so much as human beings. And just deeper, healthier relationships where people are really letting themselves be vulnerable, letting themselves, you know, speak their truth, speak from their heart, from their soul, less from the ego and that inner child that wants to protect them. And also really loving their body more, appreciating their body, maybe engaging their body more. And then then there could be just a whole snowball effect of them, you know, engaging in activities or in community in ways that they like being in their body. And, And bodyfulness doesn't mean that we feel good and happy in our body every day all the time. Um, it's also really a method for managing when it's hard to be in our body. But but I do see people more often than not, they can ride the wave of some of the discomfort in their body emotionally and physically. And so they aren't, they aren't so afraid of taking risks or getting hurt when they know that they can actually kind of have um, a toolbox to endure some of the discomfort. Mm, amazing. And you talk a lot about pleasure too. Mm-hmm. And why, why is pleasure important to you? I think of how joy or happiness are really uncontested. <laughs> Nobody would take issue with them. And yet pleasure has been, it's gotten such a bad rap. It's really been in the U.S. It's been so reduced to either only being about sex or also it's been reduced to really something that is selfish or lavish or gluttonous. And so I decided to be a champion for pleasure, especially because I really believe that it's these moments of pleasure that I believe really lead to the longer lasting states of joy and happiness. Pleasure is so connected to our senses and and our experience within, and it can be very healing for ourselves. It can also be really regenerating for ourselves and pleasure shared among others can really lead to more compassion all around. So I didn't understand how something that was such this amazing life force energy and this kind of healing agent had such a bad reputation. And that's where a lot of the first part of my book really looks at sort of how did we get here in our relationship with our bodies and our relationship to feeling good? Why, why do we demonize these things? Yeah. And also, why do we hold ourselves back? from these things, right? Is it not feeling worthy? Like feeling like we're, we're not deserving of pleasure? Mm-hmm. Where do you think it comes from? A lot of what I have researched looks at how in the U.S. our puritanical roots and really that, I mean, the basis of our country being built on that kind of repression and suppression that was also in part needed as far as a country that is really built on in the beginning with slavery and and people had to in a way disconnect from their heart and their emotions and all of that within their body and then we fold in sort of religious messages and then the industrial revolution with messages to keep working and i think therefore i am and becoming these robots you know and because of capitalism it's really all the expense then of this more innate and intrinsic and kind of natural primal part of ourselves that is so necessary and so wise, but it's been thrown to the side. Although I think we're really ushering in a new era of coming back into the feminine and into you know these, these more subtle aspects of our wisdom. I wonder how much even just knowledge sharing 
plays a role in all of this. Things like this podcast, YouTube videos, TEDx videos, and just bringing awareness to these topics. I was with somebody, a friend yesterday, and he's, you know, he's a a big muscular guy, cares a lot about masculinity and being a man. And he said that he went on this wellness retreat. And one of the classes that he was in was a masculinity class. And the masculinity class, what it looked like was standing across from another man, eye gazing with a stranger, with another man, doing physical poses that were challenging, holding a squat and holding your arms up for an extended amount of time and being in that kind of vulnerable position of wanting to give up, but being there with these other men. And I think, you know, back in the day, men might not have felt comfortable or confident being in that kind of situation and vulnerability and openness with other men and that Mm -hmm. masculinity and what that looks like is changing and shifting partially from this open conversation and this knowledge share that is happening. Yes, I think for sure. I'm hearing more and more about like men's groups that are really about softening and about all these conversations, I mean, your podcast and the different work of people that are really pushing this human potential movement are making a difference. I think this is the era that we're coming into. And there's all kind of the focus to more on plant medicine, which is something that I'm getting more into and excited about just looking to plants, to animals, to feminine energy, and really seeing how vital and important that can be, especially just how divisive things have gotten to really counterbalance that. Yeah, back to the mother, right? Mother nature herself. (laughs) Absolutely. I always have told my friends lately that I am no longer using the word master. I'm saying the mother. And I'm bringing that word more and more into my vocabulary. Today, I am very excited to tell you about our Super Bar collection. We recently updated our cult favorites, Detox, Beauty, and Energy Super Bars that you all know and love to ensure that we're continuing to deliver on our commitment to providing you with the best tasting and most nutritious products on the market. These are the perfect on-the-go snack and ensure you don't have to sacrifice quality for convenience. All of these newly formulated bars focus on stabilizing your blood sugar, which, as you know, because you listen to the Sakara Life podcast, is at the core of metabolic health. We have increased the protein in each bar, so it now contains 12 grams. Each bar has 40% of your fiber, which is really important for your microbiome. The sugar has been cut in half, also a part of stabilizing your blood sugar. We have new functional ingredients, things like sea buckthorn oil that have omega-7. They're all USDA certified, no added chemicals, toxins, etc. as always. So our collection has energy. Energy bar is really delicious. It's kind of like this uh, Mexican hot cocoa. It's like chocolate, but it has cinnamon. It contains adaptogenic mushrooms to increase energy and lower cortisol. Our Beauty bars are 
probably have the biggest change. They went from like a strawberry kind of burst to now these ones are lemon, citrus, and poppy seed. They are so juicy and delicious. Contain sea buckthorn oil, as I was talking about earlier, enhances collagen production and hydrates the skin. And our detox bar, which I'm allowed to have a favorite, I'd say is my favorite. It has blue spirulina that supports the detox pathways in the body and has sesame seeds, which not only add a really delicious texture to the bar, which is blue, by the way, but also contains added calcium and vitamin E, etc. So check out the new super bars. And when you get to the website and you check out, type in podcast 15 for 15% off your purchase. So in your TED Talk, you tell the audience that the World Health Organization has declared pleasure an essential human right. And so actually went on to their website and looked up what is their definition. And they define sexuality as a central aspect of being human throughout life. And I just found this so interesting and interesting that the sexuality is a piece of us, but we can cut it off from who we are and probably from these reasons that you're talking about our puritanical roots, Mm -hmm, but would mm -hmm. love for you to kind of expand on that and tell me, you know, what are your thoughts around this, about it being a piece of being human? Right, right. I, I mean, it really is such a big part of what drives my work because everybody I know has a body and everybody I know is a sexual being or came from a sexual being. And yet everybody I know has some stories or at least a story of shame or guilt or confusion around those topics. And so I was really confused. How did we get here? And some of what my confusion is because I was blessedly raised in a household that was more sex positive and body positive, not to imply that I haven't ever had my own hangups. You know, I'm still a human being in the Western world, but I, I just saw to what extent other people were really caught in in shame around something that is so naturally part of of being human. Granted, our sexual health and wellness and our sex drive, it can be very powerful. So I think that some of those sort of ancient powers that be, they wanted to contain something, and especially around women having empowerment with their sexuality. People feared the kind of that eroticism and the power of the erotic. And so I think that I hope we're coming now more and more into an era of understanding, like, how do we channel this energy that is very natural and human. And the ways that we've been trying to go about controlling it or either shaming it or not talking about it has really led to a lot of misdirected, unhealthy aspects with regard to our bodies and and our sexual drives. When you say that you grew up in a sex positive, body positive household, what does that look like? Like, how can somebody else have a, if they're raising children, how can they have a sex positive body positive household? Well, my mom in particular, she used all sort of the natural names of the body. I tell the story of how in second grade, when the teacher said, if we knew where babies came from, and, you know, I said, well, they come out of the uterus or, you know, and it was something that other kids had never heard. And so I think that was one example. I just, she was really just sort of straight up about 
things. And, you know, always in an age appropriate way, which, you know, maybe that's more subjective, but it was a natural fluid conversation. Or for example, when I got my menstrual cycle for the first time, we had sort of a party with presents and cake. It was something to be celebrated. She would bring home books and not just sort of discreetly put the book in the room and not talk about it, but say, look at this book I got and let, you know, look at it together. And so it was a natural fluid conversation. And so I think I always felt like I could ask her questions or, you know, I could come to her. There was just no shame. Right. She didn't have shame around it. Yeah. So she kind of held space for you to feel comfortable and confident. Yeah. So a lot of education and celebration and, and also really looking at just the different ways to connect to the body or to be in relationship or to kind of connect to how we feel. And there was dancing. I would do the Jane Fonda workout with her, dance to the Flash Dance album or some of these things. There was a lot of also just being playful in the body too. And that was a good counterbalance to a lot of what I was going through as far as, like I said, being a competitive athlete. So yeah, I think that she didn't have her own shame. That was a good point. She had worked through it herself or didn't want me to have it. Yeah. And so what does that look like in today's day to have body positivity or, you know, be sex positive in your own home for yourself, do you think? For me in my life and my home, I love to engage people in physical movement. I love as a yoga teacher or leading retreats or I've had pleasure parties (laughs) with others but also just in a more natural way, just wanting to be with people in nature or be with my own animals. I myself am childless, but I just have a cat and a dog as my children. And they're really, quite honestly, always teaching me about what's really important about, you know, being more primal and just giving and receiving love. I've continued to be on a journey of just sort of my own relationship with my sexuality, my body, especially now that I'm in perimenopause, which is a whole, that's a whole nother episode. (laughs) I mean, but that being in tune with it, I think in the past, maybe again, from these eras of holding shame around our bodies or shame around things that aren't necessarily the pretty parts in our lifetime, we didn't talk about perimenopause or physical changes. And so are you able to kind of celebrate these moments or how are you looking at it? (laughs) You know, it's, that's probably something I could lean into more. I think because it hasn't been talked about that much, I'm really just trying to pull back the curtain on what is this and talking with other women about it. And even also adolescent girls too, since there's a way in which they're going through sort of that other bookend with puberty and first getting their menstruation. So also not a lot of conversation around that. So I think really right now I've been digging into it a lot of like, how can I understand this more? And I did a workshop with a colleague about ADHD and how a lot of people during menopause and perimenopause can have ADHD symptoms. And so it can be pretty confusing, but just helping people understand how to accommodate themselves, how to really nurture themselves through this. It's a you know life transition, life change. And that makes so much sense that a part of being body positive is supporting your body through these changes by getting to know it, understanding what are these changes even that are happening and mm-hmm. feeling those different feelings and changes and getting to know it again, rather than just kind of being like, okay, this is going to happen and that's it. And it's off to the side, like allowing you to be in relationship with your body. 
Right. And, and the body is always evolving too. And what it needs each day is evolving. And so really trying to be more kind of fluid like water as far as not approaching our body today as yesterday's body, but how is it, what does it need today in a different way? And how can we adapt and listen to that evolution and that current? Yes. Okay. I need to go back to something you said. You said that you're having pleasure parties. I need to unpack what this is. <laughs> You know, it, it's funny because a lot of times people immediately assume that I'm Throwing selling sex, sex parties. Yeah, your sex parties and selling sex toys, which oh. hey, I think that that is a wonderful thing. I've I've been to whether it be at bachelorette parties or not, whatnot. I've I've been to events, which I don't actually do that. I think it's a wonderful thing. But at my pleasure parties, we've we've had we have set up a pole for some pole dancing and an aerial silk. So a lot of just nice fun movement. But also it's been a lot of women just sitting in a circle and talking about everything related to their bodies, pleasure, intimacy, relationships, you know, the things that they might have thought were embarrassing stories that they can sort of release and, and share and find humor and also education and not feel alone. I think that back to my original mission, just so that this connection is really about so that we aren't feeling like we have these secrets or that we are separate and that nobody else has gone through this. And so we'll pop the bubbly and we'll sit in a circle and we'll, we'll share stories and, but then have some sort of movement and breathing component as well. Sometimes with some groups, we've had more of like an anonymous question box for some people who really want more anonymity. Like when I've had it at more of a public place versus my house where I don't know people. And I love the anonymous question box because people can you know, have conversations to get answers to things maybe they were taught that they shouldn't bring up in public. Oh, wow. Yeah. It almost makes me think about like a modern day red tent kind of situation. Danielle and I used to host women's circles just in our, you know, small communities type of thing. And it would be these moments where you could check in with yourself, what's going on in your life and share it with others and just hold space for each other and have kind of this moment of intimacy, sharing these stories and pieces of yourself. And the emotional outcome that came after that was amazing of just this release and relief and feeling connection and what that connectedness feeling then led to in work and in relationships, feeling more empowered, feeling more supported. I think it's a really powerful thing. And really, I think it cultivates empathy and, you know, that sisterhood and that sense of rather than seeing us as different, just how much we are similar and human beings going through things that are similar versus seeing our difference and that's a lot of the work that I've been doing now, too, of really how do we get out of ego and come more into soul and our essence that really allows us to see our connection to all these other living things and each other. Next time I'm in, I'm in town, Whitney, me, you, Danielle, whoever else, let's have a pleasure party. Let's do it. <laughs> we'll have a good time. We're on board. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you're not selling sex toys <laughs> at your pleasure parties, but you do talk about how Reclaiming pleasure in the bedroom helps us to reclaim pleasure outside and vice versa. Yeah, yeah, vice versa. Absolutely. And really, it can be different for each person sort of where those building blocks need to start. I would say 
by and large, most people, if they struggle to really receive and tune in to healthy pleasures in other areas of their life outside of the bedroom, it can be hard for them then to really have satisfying, really enjoyable sexual encounters because they're in their head. And so a lot of people, if they have been able to cultivate sensual pleasures, connection to nature, to their food, to each of their senses, whether it be with you know music or textures, if they're able to connect to kind of the playfulness within them and different types of creativity and the pleasures of that, then that also can really be brought into the bedroom of being able to maybe to laugh at themselves or to try different things or to kind of be in the process versus the outcome. That's what that type of cultivating that type of pleasure is also really about, like being in the experience. And same with the flow state and liveliness types of pleasures that I talk about. You're really immersed. You're really dialed in in that flow state. So you're not also paying attention to other things in the past or in the future. And so that's usually the direction that it goes in is that people, once they cultivate these other pleasures in their life in these different ways, they find that they are able to really be more present and playful and sensual and just enjoy it more greater intimacy with their partner mm-hmm. in the bedroom. There are some people who it does go more the other direction because while they might have had less shame around sex, it still may have been very mechanical or really outcome-based, you know, just to get pregnant or maybe really performative, you know, maybe if there was a lot of porn or just feeling that they needed to impress the other person. So while they were really in tune with being a sexual being and, and that they're right to that and that they deserve that in their life, it still may have been something that really wasn't as soulful or they might've still been caught in their head in a way that wasn't able to fully drop in to the experience. Yeah. We live in such a heady time. You know, the work that we're doing is more knowledge-based work. We're on computers, we're talking to each other, we're sending messages. I mean, the number of forms of communication that I have is just overwhelming, whether it's email, text message, Instagram DMs, Slack messages, like et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's hard to get out of your head at times and into your physical body. And I know you mentioned plant medicines. It's been a while for me, but I think in those really intense times of my life where I've been really stressed and in my head, I would use indica, you know, THC to help get into my body. And I think a lot of people, Mm. they're smoking pot, they're opting for sativas because they don't want to feel tired, but I don't want to go more in my head. I'm in my head all day. And that indica isn't in the couch, as some people say, (laughs) it's in your body. And I found that it would help me to be able to do yoga or, you know, or get into that place for more intimacy because I'm more in my body and out of that headspace. What have you found? I love how you are describing this. You really have been curious with yourself because with all the different plant medicines, it can really vary from person to person. And of course, your setting and your mindset, sort of my next frontier, not that I'm abandoning bodyfulness and pleasure, but really I'm folding in really this work with regard to both psilocybin and ayahuasca that are the two that can really be known for the ego dissolution because ego very much is in our heads and it starts at that young age when we're confused and powerless or there are wounds and we're hurt and it builds. We think it's going to keep us safe, but it does just the opposite. 
I think it's really about everybody trying to experiment with how does it impact them. Dosing, of course, is important. Maybe being with other people is important, but all in service to sort of dialing down that dysfunctional ego that tells us we're separate so we can dial up our soul and our inner knowing. And that part of us that's really wants to share in others and sees the connection to others and doesn't have to compete and be right. We've had different guests on the podcast who talk about being able to get there through meditation and breathing exercises. And I do believe that that's absolutely a way to get there. And your body's going to naturally produce some of these brain chemicals that a plant medicine might induce. But I think that plants are part of the nature that we've been given. And if used with respect and in the right ways, without that ego, for some people, it can be a great tool in your toolkit. Yeah. Maybe not for everybody, but going back to what we had been talking about around shame, that these plant medicines also have been given such a negative look because people can abuse them or because they can influence people in the wrong ways. But if it becomes part of the conversation to use it in a positive and useful and respected way, then it doesn't need to be something that is kept a secret and hidden and shameful or abused. Absolutely. Yeah. Like you said, to respect them and to be intentional. And so yeah, I think there's a lot more conversations around them and then the role of these plants to help us to really yeah come back into our truth and our light. And like you said, how it's for you really coming into your body and kind of getting out of the default mode network of the brain, which can, can be that part of us where the more dysfunctional ego likes to live. It's like we're in service to them. They're in service to us to be more bodyful, to be more kind of in our healthy pleasures and connection to ourselves and others in these really honest, kind and loving ways. And so it's, it's an exciting frontier, I think, within psychology and mental health. I'm excited, really excited to be a part of it. There are so many benefits, like you're talking about right now, of just doing movement to get into your physical body. I think that a lot of people do physical movement for the physical results. And I, I actually wrote an article for our S Life Mag, I don't know, maybe this was eight years ago, asking the question if you didn't get any outside aesthetic, physical results from working out, would you still work out? Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people, they work out to get the abs or they want to lose weight or they want muscles or whatever else. But there are so many benefits like you're talking about right now of just doing movement to get into your physical body, that it's not just a release of yeah. endorphins or things like that affecting your mental health, that it's so much mm -hmm. more than that. Absolutely. And especially having a variety, just like we're supposed to have a variety of food groups, having a variety of ways that we connect to our body and move our body. So sometimes maybe more cardiovascular, sometimes it's maybe more slow and intentional, whether it be a yoga or a Tai Chi, or it is something real therapeutic, like a massage and acupuncture. But that's where I love that there's a variety of ways 
to kind of move and be in the body that can meet us where we're at that day as far as what we need. But it really gives that discharging. There's a discharge of accumulation of stress. There's a way of inhabiting our body versus using it. I know for me, my exploration into yoga many years ago was really about being curious in my body versus critical. It was this place to really practice like, oh, what's going on? That deeper listening that we were talking about earlier, that embodied mindfulness, like what's even happening within here as I get to know you again? I love to say movement is medicine. It so is. I love that. I feel like this is a great place for you to give our Sakara Light listeners some light work. Well, I think it would really expand on what we were just saying is find a way to sort of discharge from your body each day. Movement is really powerful, but sometimes it's in the form of tears or it's in the form of sweating or it's sighing out in deep breaths. It's like expression versus repression. <laughs> so so let that be, it can be wide open each day as far as what that release looks like. But we absorb so much each day, mentally, physically, emotionally. So really let that move through and let it be animalistic. Sometimes it's shaking, you know, sometimes it is grunting or, you know, tears or, or things that we were told we weren't supposed to do because they weren't very proper or civilized. Mm -hmm. Those are the things I think that really help to discharge out that older trauma and the day-to-day -day accumulation of stress. So let it be about expression, not repression. <laughs> I love this light work because I think twofold. One, you can get the benefit of the physical movement, but also an opportunity to get a little uncomfortable to do a movement that maybe we're told not to do, like shaking or, you know, moving your hips or whatever it, it might be, right? Yeah. And yep. get a little bit uncomfortable to get more comfortable within your body. So I love this, a challenge to get moving every day. Yeah, and play around and just experiment too, because it might be different each day or during what's going on that day. Sometimes people want like a specific three steps. And I do give a kind of a long list of things in my book as far as here are some ideas, but just keep playing around and notice what works for you. Like for me, because I hold a lot of my stress in my jaw, me too. a lot of times I massage the jaw and I kind of maybe let out some sighs It really softens where kind of this bottleneck between the head and the heart that I hold stuff. So I always encourage people to find where is your main go-to place in your body where it is holding on to that constriction and let that be a good place to start with, with the release. I love it. Well, Rachel, mm -hmm. thank you so much for joining us today on the Sakara Life podcast. It has been a pleasure. Uh, I know. And the pleasure has been all mine as well. So let's keep using that word as much as we can, that embodifulness. Yes, <laughs> I love it. Today, we're getting back to the basics of Saqqara, and so we wanted to share a bit about our Saqqara Signature Nutrition Program for all of those listeners that are new to us. We created this program after healing ourselves to help others feel the same transformation that we experience through the power of food as medicine. This program is based on the science behind a whole food, plant-rich diet and has been crafted around our proprietary nine pillars of nutrition which focuses on things like nutrient diversity and eating the rainbow, eating your water and getting enough sulfur-rich veggies into your diet, as well as cultivating body intelligence in order to have true mind, body, and soul transformation. The Sakara Signature Nutrition Program makes clean eating easy. 
It's entirely free from meat, gluten, dairy, refined sugar, pesticides, harmful chemicals, and GMOs. The menu is chef-crafted and changes weekly to highlight seasonal ingredients and recipes so you never have to sacrifice taste for eating healthy. If you're interested in learning more about our Saqqara Signature Nutrition Program, head to saqqara.com to see how you can customize the program to fit your needs and lifestyle. That's S-A-K-A-R-A And for a limited time, we wanted to give you all a gift of transformation. So use the code podcast20 at checkout for 20% off your first order of Saqqara Life. I think so many of us are so busy these days trying to take care of the entire world around us, whether you're a busy professional or a mom I encourage you to give this gift of nutrition to yourself. You deserve to feel amazing in your body. And when you nourish yourself, then you're able to better take care of the world around you and share your special gifts with the world. 